What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Also, go check out the Ethos Fantasy BB account. That's where all of our new baseball, fantasy baseball content gets posted out from. Now, we're doing this a day late because of some problems that I had yesterday. Personal problems, couldn't record, but we have him here with us today. Greg Jewett, you guys know him from his work with The Athletic, also with Baseball HQ, and of course, Reliever Recon. Uh, You can find him on Twitter, at GJewett with two Ts, nine. So, G-J-E-W-E-T-T, nine. Greg, thank you so much for hopping on the show today. No problem, Joel. Thanks for having me. You want to just tell us a little bit about uh, what you've been doing recently, what you got planned for the upcoming season. I know you just uh, had a piece featured in the FTN draft guide. Maybe just tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about everything you've been doing recently. Yeah, um, you know, we we both uh, talked with Vlad out at uh, first pitch. Um, great guy. Uh, so um, he proposed that I, I uh, do a column for the uh, the draft guide there for FTN. <clears throat> and thankfully, uh, the athletics said it was okay. Uh, and and the nice thing was is uh, Vlad's very uh, NFBC centric, which you know, uh, when I'm writing for the athletic, I can't you know devote most of my columns to the main event or uh, things of that nature. So it gave me a little uh, leeway to do things differently, and uh, I had fun with it. So I went through some stuff from the last two years. You know, it's hard to really take a lot from what happened with relievers in 2020. So I kind of skipped that during the the research phase because usually we want three years data. But, you know, with tw- and, I, and 2019 seems so long ago because bullpens, I don't know, it, they just feel so different than they did in 2019 that I didn't see that as relevant in bringing in there either. So uh, we did that. Um, the Athletic is actually publishing a magazine this year for a draft guide. Um, along with QR codes where you can scan updates. So um, that should be landing on shelves not too long away. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, put together some some basic uh, save projections because um, Derek Cardi's The Bat Stuff doesn't include them in there. Um, so Nando gave me the chance to do that as well. So those are just submitted. Uh, and, and I'm sure the first run of uh, save projections will look a lot different in in. God, just a month from now than they do today, but uh, all that's fun. So that's part of the, uh, the the pain and and the constant stream of content that you get covering relievers. There's certainly a lot that you need to to factor in with relievers, which is why I wanted to talk to you today. You're one of the preeminent reliever slash closer experts in our industry. Uh, you're shaking your head there, but absolutely, uh, you are for sure. And there's a lot of factors there, especially, you know, you talk about 2019 and even a couple of years before the way that the ball has changed the last couple of years. It's made it kind of hard to to really know what you're going to be getting out of any pitchers, but especially with those relievers with, you know, one inning here, one inning there, especially with the reports we saw a couple of weeks ago with the Yankees, they were getting specific balls and, you know, it's very hard <laughs> landscape to nail down pitching in general, but specifically uh, relievers. I want to talk to you today a little bit about some signings that have happened over the last week or so, uh, a couple of closers who are unsigned, and then maybe we'll look back at the end on a couple of the elite relievers in 2022 uh, talk about what you think about them. Just in general, uh, a closer mm-hmm. relief pitcher discussion today. Uh, why don't we start off with Craig Kimbrell? He got signed up by the Philadelphia. I was about to say 76ers. I've been f- watching too much basketball. <laughs> the Philadelphia Phillies signed Craig Kimbrell a one-year $10 million deal. 
Now, I was just talking with Adam Howe and Kevin Hastings on the On The Wire pod, which you, you guys won't hear until New Year's Day, but we were talking about this exact topic. <clears throat> Where do you think that the Philadelphia bullpen is going to go for saves? Is it going to be Sir Anthony Dominguez? Uh, will we see Craig Kimbrell get the majority of the saves out of the bat? Maybe even Jose Alvarado. What, do, what are your thoughts on the bullpen situation in Philadelphia as of right now? I think you you have to kind of look at the pattern that um, with Rob Thompson at the helm. So he pretty much was matchup based. Um, and, you know, I, I use the term a lot, uh, but HLR, the highest leverage, highest leverage reliever. Um, and I think this will be applicable to Saranthi Dominguez. So as much as we like him from a fantasy standpoint, that he's a, a pitcher that generates swinging strikes, um, him and Alvarado will be navigating the toughest parts of the lineup. Alvarado would get where the lefties are, and then Dominguez is going to get the the toughest pocket in the last three innings. That does not mean it's exclusive to the ninth inning. And I think you'll see um, Philadelphia kind of use Kimbrell in the same way that the Dodgers did, not necessarily as the closer, but in a situation where um, Dominguez faces the toughest part of the lineup in the eighth, which was Evan Phillips for the Dodgers. He did all the dirty work. And then Kimbrell will come in in the ninth and – and get save situations that probably aren't as messy, if that makes any sense. So um, I, I see all three of those relievers getting saves. It's just going to matter how the late innings and performance, um, in-season performance will dictate who is doing what at the at the whatever moment. So what we want to do is Alvarado going to carry over the command games he displayed last year? I hope so. Um, but again, him and, him and Dominguez are a great one-two punch uh, to take out the best parts of the batting lineup. And then, like I said, you'll see. So when I did it, I gave, I think I gave Kimball like 18 saves, Sir Anthony 11 and Alvarado like six as a hypothetical when I was, you know, giving those into the athletic. I just don't think one guy, you know, a lot of sites want to say this guy's the closer, but that, that's becoming a, a um, an old term in the new baseball I was just muted there. I'm going to have to edit that part out. Um, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm no uh, every now and then it happens with me. I'm still, I still mess up with this thing. Sometimes uh, all these guys are going currently past pick 200 Dominguez at 200 on the dot. Craig Kimbrell at 465, and Jose Alvarado at 578. Are you interested in drafting these guys at their current price? Well, it, it really depends on the format and what my build looks like. And and I think this is something that people overlook when you're when you're doing this. If I take a if I take a closer that I consider an anchor, which is a guy I think will get me 30 saves. So if I take, you know, if I'm not gonna pay at the top end, I'm not gonna take one of the top three. I'm gonna I'm gonna go in there after haters take and then wait for the next run of closers. Hopefully I'm somewhere in the middle of that sweet spot. So if I get like a Ryan Helsley or Felix Bautista, um, I'd be willing to take Dominguez um, just because I know he'll give me better ratios than probably Kimbrell will. Um, but again, if if I don't have one of a guy I consider an anchor and I'm going more for saves, then I'm probably leaning Kimbrell just because I'm looking for the aggregate number. So you know, your build really dictates who you're taking at those price points. And I think, you know, it, it's so early. The, the the prices in March, especially when you get to like the main events, they just, you throw everything that's happened out the window and you just kind of reshuffle the deck and see what happens. But um, in, in the most recent OC, 
I think Kimbrough jumped up to, I'd have to look at the data, but I was typing it up this morning. I think he, he went before pick 200 in that. Oh, wow. Uh, I can pull it up here. Um, in the So there's been two OCs that have been done uh, since December. In one of them, he went at pick 199. One of them, he yep. went at pick 310. So I guess so. Last night was the last night was the 199. Yeah, I still think at that price, it's not <clears throat> it's not terrible. Like you said, your build mm -hmm. really will dictate what's going to happen. But you, we could still see 25 potentially that many saves from from Kimbrel. I wouldn't really be expecting it, but in terms of when you're getting down to this level in the draft, mm -hmm. round pick 200 and beyond, uh, that kind of upside is not really there now there it is a muddy situation <clears throat> i'm think i'm <clears throat> excuse me i think i'm mostly going to be avoiding it where i can try and go for some more sure options earlier in drafts because it could really be any of these guys by the end of it <clears throat> kimbrell is not the same guy that we saw in atlanta and in boston it, it wouldn't surprise me if he keeps declining and maybe he doesn't get any maybe you no know, he'll get a few saves uh, but it's a very tricky situation. I think for the most part, if you can, it, it's better to stay away from it, especially if you're talking like a shallower 12-team league where you're only mm -hmm. drafting 250 players total. Uh, you know, those guys are probably going to end up being later round draft picks, but I would, for the most part, I'm not really that interested in in any of them considering the situation. If they were all three on different teams, I think they could all be incredible closers in their own right. But uh, considering they're all playing for the same team, I'm not I'm not going to be too interested as of right now. Uh, any other thoughts on the Philly situation before we before we move on? No, no, I I think we covered it pretty well. I mean, it's yeah, it's all build dependent and what your what your what your um, tolerance of risk is in in these builds. You know, obviously playing for an overall versus your league is two separate entities. So yeah, I, if you don't want the headaches and you don't want to be adding the guy who got the save last week instead of the guy who's getting the save next week, yeah, definitely avoid the. Uh, the Philly situation because it's just going to cause you a lot of angst. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another situation I wanted to talk to you about was San Francisco in their bullpen. They brought in Taylor Rogers. Uh, it was a three-year deal, I believe, for Taylor Rogers. Uh, three years, $33 million. According to Roster Resource right now, he is slotted in as the setup man with Camilo Duvall as the closer. What is your opinion on what's going to happen here in San Francisco? I know there'd been talk uh, throughout the offseason of San Francisco wanting to upgrade the closer position or bring in another arm there. Uh, are, are you interested in either of these guys anymore? Or have they kind of negated the value of the other one? Uh, it, this doesn't take me out of the Duvall market. It just caps his total saves. So, you know, he got 27 last year and had a pretty good season. Now, he changed his pitch mix around August. He He moved to a sinker. Um, which really improved his results the last uh, the last two months of the season. So that you know, I don't think we've seen the best of all by any means. Um, and I think Rogers there, the one weakness the uh, ball does have is left-handed batters. So um, there's going to be ninth inning situations where, especially if they're playing, you know, a team um, like their nemesis, the Dodgers, if they have the lefty bats coming up in the ninth inning, they might lean towards using Taylor Rogers in that situation. Um, rather than Duvall. And then when you read between the quotes, it was it sounded more like they wanted somebody there so they didn't overuse Duvall. At, at the end of the season, they really rode Duvall hard and it wore him down um, because there was no other option they trusted to be in a safe situation. Um, so I think they see this more as like when they had McGee and uh, Taylor's brother, Tyler, when they shared saves a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, McGee got 31. I don't think they're going to get that number again. 
but I still think you'll see a, a split like that. It's it's going to be mostly Doval with a side of Rogers. Um, so again, just just bake that in. So if your last pick, you're looking for a guy to get you ten saves and be okay, then then Rogers is your guy. Um, if Doval moves down into the early 100s as far as ADP, that would be a terrific bargain, especially if you get him as your either second RP with upside or um, as a as a weak anchor. But I still think there's a there's another level to his production lying in wait. Yeah, I I hate these situations because they're both guys <laughs> like we said with Philadelphia. All three of them could potentially carry a ninth inning for the most part. I mean, maybe Alvarado is still you know we're not really sure. Even with Dominguez, but they showed last year that they are capable. Uh, Duvall and Rogers. My worry is maybe we see twelve, fifteen saves out of both of them, and then. You know, that top 100 pick of Duvall is going to look pretty ugly. I think Rogers right now where he's going post pick 300 really makes a lot of sense. Specifically, you know, going back to shallower formats again, you're talking a 12 team league. That's, you know, end of the draft territory. Last pick, you might reach a round or two. Uh, I don't even know if you'd have like an ADP if you're talking about a 12 teamer. But, you know, you take your last pick with Taylor Rogers. Saves are very hard to come by on the waiver wire. You might end up with. 10 15 20 it's 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 a tough situation to figure out and i think it's maybe a little bit easier because of the handedness of the pitchers you have the lefty alvarado the righty uh dominguez and then the lefty in rogers the righty in doval which will kind of dictate like you said with matchups that might make it a little bit easier but overall uh neither team is a team that i'm going to be that interested mm -hmm. in in their bullpens i think that there's just too many too many question marks uh, there's also a lot of question marks in terms of guys who haven't signed yet. I think <clears throat> the biggest name out there that hasn't signed in terms of relievers, probably a Roldis Chapman. You also have guys like Andrew Chafin, uh, Corey Knable, Alex Reyes. Are there teams that you expect these guys to sign with in particular, or are anybody that's really lacking closers that you think will look to grab specifically like a Chapman or an Alex Reyes? Do you think they'll have fantasy relevance this year? It might be too soon for these questions, but uh, what, what are your what's your outlook on them before they've signed? It's it's not too soon, but the 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 runway is getting narrow um, when when you're looking at a lot of these jobs and other stuff. Um, I think Texas will be desperate to bring in somebody to um, go up against Leclerc in spring training. It's it's just weird, you know. I, I've spoken about Leclerc and a couple others. Like two years ago, I loved him and his upside, and then you know Texas waited till the last day to pick up his team option for for this coming season and in September in excuse me in October the last week of the season they used Matt Moore for both save chances and didn't even throw Leclerc and I was like that's really weird I mean why wouldn't you be finding out what you've got for the year ahead while he's in the bullpen when there was never confirmation there was an injury or any other um any other situation saying Leclerc wasn't ready to go, but it, it was, it was strange. So, you know, I, I watched that stuff every day. So I'm like, why is Matt Moore getting save chances when he's a pending free agent? And then there's two reports coming right out today. One from Levi Weaver and the other from Evan Grant saying that they think the market on Matt Moore is too robust to come back to Texas, even though they wanted to bring him back. So Texas is weird. Um, I think Miami needs to do something. I mean, I, I just, I don't see them trust. I mean, they didn't really fully trust Flora last year. They had the Tanner Scott little month of great production until his walk rate returned um, and some bad luck. But uh, I, I I think those are two bullpens where you might see some change. Uh, but other ones, I just, 
you know, I, I don't see Tampa Bay taking a chance in any of these kinds of guys uh, and things of that nature. So to me, those would be the two primary ones where there will at least be a pathway to saves. Um, the rest of them, they, they seem to be settling in. So it's going to be a guy's going to have to take a contract. I don't know if Chapman's that kind of a guy, if he would take a show me incentive related contract. Yeah, almost at age 35. I don't know if that's really going to be what he's going to want to do. Assuming he, Chapman signs somewhere, he gets the save, uh, he gets the closer job. Where roughly would you be wanting to take him? Or would you take him in the top 200 picks? Would you, what's, no, what's your, what's your general? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you, you get lucky in this business every so often. So Chapman was my top fade last year. I, I said I wanted zero shares of him. I was on five different podcasts saying the same. And I was like, I, I had him on a team um, the season prior and it was a roller coaster. Um, and again, when you look at the numbers, like, oh, we saved 30 games. But then when you when you have him on your team and you see what it had uh, in a points league, he killed me a couple of weekends. Like he blew two saves in one weekend. I lost a matchup to Ariel Cohen. So, I mean, that stuff stings. And I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done with the Chapman experience. And uh, I, again, I got lucky on that. Um, so even wherever he goes, I, I just don't see the. I, I just don't see him waking up tomorrow with better command. Uh, the walk rate was a real concern, um, and he was nibbling. It was different. There was days he's not much of a poker player. There's days you see him on the mound, and, and when he had his strut, you're like, okay, he's got his stuff today. And there was other days where he was just sweating profusely, and he had nothing, and he did not trust his fastball. Uh, so that's why, you know, again, maybe in Miami where the ballpark that's a little more forgiving on fly balls, he might be okay, and they've shown a tolerance to – um, guys with 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 low command like Tanner Scott, maybe they can squeeze some value out of them. I just I don't think he'll be on any of my rosters. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, looking at his numbers last year, I didn't even realize how high his walk rate was seventeen and a half percent. The strikeout rate for the first time in his career. And granted, we're only talking what was yeah. it, thirty some odd innings. It's but a he's small only, sample. Only striking out twenty seven percent of batters when he's a career forty percent strikeout rate. Uh, he, I think there's a decent chance that he's just finished uh, i think it's certainly a possibility alex reyes i think is a little bit more interesting should he sign a lot younger uh we saw him recently put up a very good season in 2021 uh assuming that he signs uh, would you be more rosy about his outlook than than roldis chapman or it's hard not to be i guess well yeah same thing he's another guy that puts he, he's he's like his own worst enemy a lot of uh traffic that doesn't need to be there um, if he went to somebody like the Dodgers and they could put him on injured reserve for the first two months and then bring him in as the season progressed, I'd be interested. Um, I really think where he goes will be, and again, because of his injury issues, I think Reyes might not be somebody who signs until they can put him on the injured reserve. So that it might it might not be till spring training or right before spring training if a team creates a roster spot that you see something like that happen. Um, it'll depend. I, I, again, I, I was fortunate enough uh, to squeeze out a lot of those saves when Reyes was with the Cardinals um, that year. I took him late in a lot of drafts just as a backup because I was big on Jordan Hicks. So that was a big whiff on my part. Uh, but luckily I backed him up with, uh, with Reyes and in, in any time I took Hicks. So it didn't kill me, but um, you know, before September though, he was losing the reins and, and that's what kind of opened the door for that hot streak from Gallegos 
uh, which thought, which pushed his price up in 2022 drafts. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's year to year, but it's always volatile. But yes, I, as far as future, I would rather take Reyes on a team late than I would uh, Chapman just because I'm hoping at the second half of the season, I would get those saves. Yeah. And I think you made a good point with the Dodgers. I mean, their bullpen, there are some good arms in there that have done well, but at the end of the day, how much are you going to trust Daniel Hudson? Are you going to trust him as a closer? Evan Phillips was very good, but year after year, we know the volatility around relievers, especially guys who are not your, your haters and your Hendrixes. And even with those guys, there's a lot of volatility. And when you're talking about a lesser entity in, an, in a Phillips or a Hudson, I wouldn't be shocked to see them sign one of these remaining uh, free agent uh, relief pitchers. Is there anybody else uh, in terms of the unsigned relievers that you think uh, could make some noise in, in fantasy this year? It'll really depend on where Andrew Chafin goes, but I just I think he's better suited as a setup and then than he would be as a as a closer. Yeah, um, I don't think he's going to go back to Detroit at this point. It doesn't look like it. I think they're probably set up with with Soto anyway. Uh, that's that's pretty much the the breaking news stuff over the last couple of weeks, mixed in with some other. I guess the Chapman stuff isn't really breaking news, but just a breakdown of relievers and what is uh, what is still out there in terms of players to be signed. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about this past season because that was the intention and you know you guys might have heard Greg recently on the CBS podcast I had planned a similar kind of show of reviewing relief pitchers so we won't go through all that again I won't put uh, Greg through that although I'm sure he could he could breeze through it in a couple seconds here I just wanted to talk about some of the elite pitchers that we saw uh, reliever wise in 2020 uh 2022 Let's start off with Emmanuel Classe real quickly, and I guess you could group him together with Edwin Diaz. They were the elite, the elite of the elite in terms of relievers, closers you know, this past season. Do you expect them to carry that over, or do you think there was some volatility there? I saw some people talk about Edwin Diaz uh, even year, odd year numbers. I don't think there's really too much to read into that, but they're quite different. Uh, is there is there anything that you'd be concerned about in terms of either of those two guys? The, the only concern is just the price point. Um, yeah. You know. Year after year, I mean, I was fortunate. I took um, Hader in three different NFBCs. I didn't play big last year. I, you know, I just, things were a little tight as far as money and whatnot. So I only did, I think I played in four NFBC leagues. And one of them was the TGFEI, which is no entry fee. So, um, but anyways, I had Hader on three of my five teams. And I came in second on two of them. And the other one, I was able to win my main event qualifier. So, you know, yeah, a lot of people are hesitant to pay for the top closer on the board. Uh, and again, it's your comfort level. So like, if I take a Josh Hader, I'm not taking a second closer for some time. Then now I'm just layering the rest of my roster with the best bat, best pitcher, whatever the best option to me available is um, for my build and reacting to the room. Um, so, you know, and, and, and Vlad was happy that that was a part of the intro piece on FTN was, you know, play to your strength. So I personally, um, probably will not have Edwin Diaz this year just because he's the first closer taken. And, and I don't feel like I have to get him. Um, uh, just when you looked at the, the top 25 teams in the main event, you know, I think seven of those teams had Kenley Jansen on them. So, I mean, you don't have to have the the top closer on the board. You just have to have somebody that you know will give you or you hope will give you the 30 saves. And then you you build from that. And with the total, with the, you know, 
222 relievers got a save last year. It's just a crazy number. But the the number of relievers getting five and 10 went down, and there are only 10 relievers that get 30 or more saves. So, I mean, again, it's it's a narrow strip of those guys that provide you that statistic. So that's why you see some numbers get pushed up. Um, but again, as far as Diaz goes, if, if I do want the strikeouts, say I plan on, if I'm building my draft from the back forward or not, I'm not taking a lot of starting pitchers with with uh, high strikeout totals or they're not on my, or at least they're not on my top radar list, then I might want Diaz just because he gives me a chance of triple digit Ks that most relievers won't. He was, he was the only one last year. Uh, Munoz was close and a couple of others, but you know, that that's, that's his biggest variance. You know, Clase gives you terrific ratios and you know, he's the, the guardians play close games and, and he's just a horse. I mean, after starting the season slow, he wasn't getting a lot of save opportunities from May on. He was just on fire. I mean, teams that had him just, drifted up in the standings because of the volume he received um so based on the age i would probably wait like you know seven eight picks and get clause if that was available to me or I, I, you know again i'm looking at that the second and third tiers really are not that bad so um, i'm willing to you know and again i'm comfortable finding saves on the waiver wire um but i'll, I'll probably be plucking from the second or third tier this year as opposed to making sure I get one of those guys that are going in the top 30 right now, which I just, I don't think that's uh, a definite need. So again, I love both of those relievers. I just don't think I'll be getting much of them because of the price point. Yeah, I'd have to agree. <clears throat> I'd have to agree year in and year out. You don't really know what you're going to get with any particular reliever. We saw with Josh Hader this past season, he gave you a lot of saves, but it came at the expense of your ratios. He was so incredible to start the year off and then, he really took a downturn. And I've talked about this a couple of times. Actually, with Rob DiPietro, we talked about it a little while ago. He dealt with so many different mm -hmm. problems. His kid, I think there was, his wife had some pregnancy complications, and there was some problem, I think, with his kid. And then there was the fact that he was traded midseason. Yep. You're getting Josh Hader around or two later than you were last season. I'm definitely in on him. Uh, mm -hmm. Liam, Hendri Liam Hendricks, even, like they've become the second tier of relievers for whatever reason. Uh, I mean, it's because of the ascension of Diaz and Classe, but you're getting, you know, similar kind of projections out of out of Hader and Hendricks. I would much rather, like you said, wait a round or two, or even wait a little bit longer and get yourself like a, a Jordan Romano, or you know, uh, Felix Batista, even Iglesias. Mm -hmm. I think I'd, I'd feel a lot more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. uh, who is? Is there any closer going fairly early on that you are fully fading? Not necessarily like Diaz and Classe because of the price, but because you're worried about the skill set. <sighs> Not it's not you know it's what was it a couple of years ago when they uh, got a bl blanking on um, there was the article about you know we're drafting saves wrong we, we've gotten better at at drafting saves as far as identifying who's going to get them um, not necessarily the price points in year to year and, and saves are very reactive so whatever happened the year before somehow spills over instead of looking forward and you made a great point like I was doing a, a mock draft for the athletic for the for the magazine and I, I got hater as the fifth closer like he drifted I think it was it was either the third or the fourth round in my mock and I was like okay I said I'm not going to leave hater here at this point I said you know Last year, you were taking them in the second round. I'll, I'll take the discount and and lock that in. And I didn't take another closer, I think, until round 15. And I grabbed Fairbanks for strikeout upside. You know, again, I'm comfortable. 
I'm comfortable letting them letting them drift after that point if I've got my anchor. Um, so yeah. I haven't found anyone so far going up in there. Now, it, again, it's going to, like I look at the uh, the recent OCs here. So, you know, I'm not taking the first OC, David Bednar, went at 85. There's no way I'm paying a, a, a draft pick of 85 on David Bednar just because of the Pirates. You know, how many... The, the season Daniel Bard put together with 34 wins for a Rockies team that won, I think, 68 games. I mean, that's, you know, those don't happen every day. I mean, it's fantastic. I had Bard a lot of places last year. God bless him. But, you know, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to say David Bednar can do the same thing just because we don't know. Um, so it, it, it's going to definitely be a matter of feel. And I like that you mentioned Rizel Iglesias because Atlanta prefers having a having one guy back there. I mean, they've proven it. They they had Will Smith stay there as bad as he was at a couple of different points in the season in 2021. Uh, and Jansen even went through a couple of his blips. You know, there, there's there's going to be he's a big dude. He wears down at times. So, you know, it, you have to bake those things in when you have them. And, you know, they, they they like one person. So Rizel slots right in there. They, they You know, he's got the contract and they've got a great lead up group going to him. So and, and you know. Detroit sending Jimenez there was a bit of a surprise to me because I thought Jimenez might end up being the closer for the Tigers, but you know, they, they sold high because he's a free agent at the end of the season. So there's not anyone really near the top that I'm fading, fading. It's going to be more for me, the, the price point in the draft room that I'm at, if that makes sense. No, yeah, absolutely does make sense. I'm looking at the top 100. There's not really anybody that's a hard fade for me. I think the price on Devin Williams feels a little bit high. I'm looking at just draft champions uh, in the month of December. He's become a top 50 draft pick. That feels mm -hmm. like it might be a little high, although, I mean, he's he's proven it over the last several years that he can bring it, but as an everyday closer for the entire season, I feel like we're... I feel like that price is is a little much for me. I'd rather take Jordan Romano, uh, you know, a few picks earlier. Given given the two, would you prefer Romano there, or would you prefer uh, Devin Williams, like about seven picks later? No, I've always been a Romano fan. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do like him, and I like. I think you know, and again, we're looking at the season ahead. I think Toronto's a team on the rise, and. If Milwaukee struggles, they might trade one of those starting pitchers. Now, all of a sudden, you're taking that win total even further down, which cap saves for Devin Williams. So, I mean, you know, the team you're on does dictate some of these things, um, you know, and, and it's fluky. So, like, in 2021, everyone was complaining because Ryan Presley didn't get a bunch of saves because the Astros are blowing everyone out. And then last year, the Astros were playing way more close games. Uh, and then he, he had a higher save total, even though he spent time on the injured list. So, it's... You know, saves are fluky, but at least when we have an idea of the team concept and what's happening, and we don't know what's going to happen with the NL Central not being able to play each other all the time. Again, that you know, Milwaukee's win total could could take a hit because of that, because now they're not they're not playing the Pirates all the time and a few other teams that they're that they're used to feasting on and getting those those wins for them. So, yeah, I, I understand your point on Williams. So, yeah. And and on the flip side with Williams too, uh, one of my writers at, at Recon Bullpen Guru, he he's a little nervous about him because he feels like Williams likes being the setup guy more than the closer, you know. And, and that goes to your point earlier when you we were talking about Hudson. Hudson told the Nationals he didn't want to be the closer. He he preferred being the eighth inning guy. So you know, we don't know if Williams will fully accept that role or thrive in it or. 
if they deal Burns or Woodruff, would they deal Williams? I mean, are they going to do a full teardown? So there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to that. So your your worries about him are are founded. I really like him. The skill set's mm-hmm. really good. He's he's I mean, he's a borderline like great reliever. The walk rate's mm-hmm. a little bit too high. Uh, but yeah, at that price, I, I just can't really get into it. On the other side of that, uh, are you looking at any closers who are going a little bit later? Not, not any particular post whatever pick, but is there anybody going a little bit later who you are going to be targeting that you would be willing to give away a couple secrets there? Or, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, don't forget, you know, you can sub to Ruby Recon for a, a, a low, low rate of $5 a month and get all this information. But uh, no, Joe, um, I, don't have I already view- gave I don't away have one. I really, <laughs> I really like Pete Fairbanks. You know, last year, everybody talked themselves into Andrew Kittredge and he had a decent second half, but Fairbanks' second half in 2022 is much better than Kittredge's second half in 2021. Um, and he's going late. Like I said, I got him in a industry draft in the 15th round, and that's 15 teams drafting. So, I mean, right, it could have been a little before that, but I know it was late. And I was like, God, this is way too late. And again, I know writers a lot of time won't pay for saves, but I was like, even if he only gets 15 saves, his his K to B B rate in the second half last year was just unbelievable um and he had he had a 0.6 whip and and his his swinging strike rate was at an at a career high so i mean again is he gonna regress to the mean a little absolutely but if he gives me 15 saves at pretty good ratios until he breaks down or the injury issue happens or tampa bay moves on to the to the next reliever of the week at least i've banked those 15 saves and i'm willing to move on and take those ratios and ride off into the sunset he doesn't have to do a lot to justify his price point. Um, I'm, I'm getting more into Carlos Estevez and that worries the hell out of me. <laughs> However, um, I did a full breakdown on the site yesterday and I went through um, in Brooks, Brooks baseball and I took all of his home numbers and all of his road numbers from the last two years. And I broke them down by pitch uh, with swinging strike percentage and let me see if I can pull the one. So I'll, I'll give you just some of the intro things. So um, the last two years on the road, uh, Estevez owns a 21.1 K minus BB percentage. Okay. So usually we consider elite relievers with a K minus BB of 20 or higher. So again, I'm not saying Carlos Estevez is going to be an elite reliever, but I am telling you that he no longer has half of his game in cores. Um, he's entering his age 30 season and even though the Angels have not named him the closer, um, I, I even wrote in a thing to Sam Bloom, one of the uh, the beat writers for The Athletic, who covers the Angels, and, and I basically put it to him. I was like, is it your feeling that Estevez is entering camp with the closer job? Is his to lose? And he said yes. So, um, again, we don't know that the Angels will fully hand him the reins, and there might be times because he does struggle with lefties every now and again that he – doesn't get the save chance because it's a lefty late in lineup in the ninth inning. Um, but I, I think in the later rounds and, and his num his ADP is already ticking up just a little, but um, at around pick 200, if I'm getting Fairbanks or Estevez as my second closer, I'm okay with that. Um, and I think people are very much, and, and, uh, and believe me, one of my first articles last year for the athletic was hyping Yohan Duran. Uh, I love the ability and I love the stuff. 
Um, what I don't like is the Twins depress arbitration by not letting guys get saves. And Taylor Rogers said as much in a quote when he got traded to San Diego. Um, so, you know, he's going in the top 150 picks in almost every draft because people think he's going to be the closer because Lopez struggled down the stretch. But as you alluded to earlier, uh, Lopez went through similar personal circumstances that Hader did. Um, after the trade, his son's health issues flared up. Um, he had some marital strife going on. Um, so I, I think Minnesota's probably going to open the year with Lopez as the primary save share. And, and you know, those people with Duran have to hope that he implodes again for them to justify where he's going in drafts. Um, so th those are a couple of the later names that, that we're looking at. Now, if you want to go way off the reservation, there's other people, but you know, it's, I, I don't think, um, well, you can press me further if you want, but those those are three right off of the top of my head that are going post pick 200 in most drafts that I think could get you 20 saves. Yeah, Lopez, currently I'm just filtering out uh, just draft champions this last month. Lopez is going at 248. Uh, Fairbanks is 192. and Estevez Okay, he's moving up, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm still not worried about the 192 is not a, a high price to pay for a guy that displayed the skills he had in the second half of last year. So that doesn't bother me too much. Everyone's always scared of the raise and, and I get it. Trust me, I cover them, but you know, <laughs> it's always, a, it's always a crapshoot with them. But when there's somebody that's doing well, I mean, he did get eight saves in the second half last year. I mean, again, I only have to times that by two to get him to 16. And then I'm more than happy with what he would give me at pick 190. Yeah, and you know Lopez going 130 picks roughly behind Duran right now. I took Duran in in my DC that I did in Arizona. I don't feel great about my closer situation having Duran and Jose Alvarado as two of my closers at this point. <laughs> uh, but but Lo but Lopez that's, that's, that's the pains of drafting early. Oh my God, my catchers are Carson Kelly and Travis Darno. So I'm just not looking great. Thank God there's no entry fee. A lot of sharp minds in that room. Did you do a uh, Did you do a draft in Arizona? Side. No, I, I monitored one. I ran, I ran the, uh, uh, one of the best, the best ball draft. I was oh. in charge of it, like moving it along and whatnot. So, uh, Bubba, Bubba and I did that, but, um, yeah, I go to the, uh, the Scott Jenstad school. I'm a, I'm a late drafter. Like I, I haven't even like, I'm assessing things and I did a couple of mocks, but you know, I just, when, when a magazine or whatever asked me to do a mock, I'm like, yeah, of course I'll, I'll step in and do it, but it gives me a feel um, but yeah, it's, you know, I, 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 I won't really start drafting till probably late January. I'm, I'm that guy. I'm very, I'm very slow to it. Um, yeah. I like to see what's happening and things of that nature. Um, and, you know, and, and what kills me is a couple of the guys I like late. I just, you know, they've already been hampered, you know, because of, because of signings and how things have shook out. So they've lost a chance to get those double digit saves. I was, I was hoping for. Um, but, um, I'm curious what the Cubs will do with Adver Alzali. I really think if they gave him the ninth inning, at least even in a shared role, I think he would do very well until Cody Hewer comes back and, and you make a good point about the twins. So like in a DC, if you do take Duran and it's okay, especially if he, if he drifts a little bit, if he goes below ADP. And then you you move up and take Lopez. At least you bracket that bullpen. So if I have the two main people in the Twins, I'm just riding a hot hand. So if they start the year with Lopez, okay, I use Lopez in a DC. And then if they do decide that Lopez can't handle it or they trade him, 
I've, I've hopefully got the next guy up in Duran to slot in there and take him. But, you know, Duran like Phillips with that, with that strong HLR label and same with Jason Adam. He does the same role for the Rays. He, he does a lot of the dirty work for him. So then the ninth inning is a lot easier for a pitcher like Fairbanks, but those guys that take the highest leverage moment, which is the toughest pocket of the lineup um, are valuable in real baseball, but, but they hurt us in, in fantasy because we always want them to get more as far as saves. And as far as Duran goes, and I just remembered looking at uh, pitcher rankings that Nick Pollock did at the end of the season. He had Duran as a starter in, in his starting pitching rankings. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he does become a starter because that's what he was in the minors. He was always a starting pitcher. Uh, that is a, a potential anyway. I know he only threw mm-hmm. 67 innings last year. He's never thrown that many innings. It would take a while to get him stretched out. But I think that that's probably their long-term plan with him. He's still 24 years old, going to be 25 uh, in a week or two. But is that what you would expect as well over time that he's going to become a starting pitcher? I think it just depends on his health because, you know, if you look at his minor league numbers, he just never accrued innings as you were alluding to. So, and and the year before last, there was some elbow concerns with him. So we just don't know. I mean, we don't know that Duran will make it all the way through this year. I mean, something could happen. I mean, you don't want to think it, but you know, everybody, we were all big on Jorge Alcala last year and then he missed most of the year because of injury. You know, we, we don't want to put that on anybody. Um, but that's always in the realm of outcomes with, with, uh, a young reliever with, uh, with a, with a track record of injury issues. So we just don't know what's in his DNA. If, does he have the DNA to be a starter? I don't know. Does he have the stuff? Sure. He's got the stuff. I just don't know if he has the, the physical durability to handle that kind of a role. Yeah, the most innings we saw out of him was in 2019, where it was uh, 115. That, that was the most he ever did, and that was high A and double A. So if he does become a starter at the big league level, which I think will probably happen at some point, it, it would take a little while, and he'll likely still start the year uh, in the bullpen. Greg, uh, I really want to thank you for for joining me today. I really appreciate the chat. I know there's a little bit of retread that we did there because uh, you, nah, you were joining the, the CBS guys. I tried to mix it up a little bit. It would have been a little bit of a different show if you hadn't been <laughs> on uh, been on with those guys. Frank beat me to the punch getting you, but I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time today, man. Well, it's not but my pleasure always. I uh, you know I remember when I first started getting getting my foot in the door with all of this and. Uh, uh, first and foremost, I appreciate the kind words you said in the intro. Um, it's a lot of hard work. And my poor girlfriend is among the most patient people in the world. Um, so, you know, I, I owe a lot to her for letting me do this. But she was the one that, you know, fueled me. She said, hey, you can go. You want to do this recon thing? Go do it. Um, and we had no idea what was going to happen, but it, it worked out well. Um, and then, you know, luckily, uh, hopefully we'll get a uh, I know. I know being in tout, we'll go down to New York City for a weekend. So that'll be nice in March. And then last year, we were supposed to go down to uh, the other first pitch in Florida, but it got canceled because of COVID. So hopefully she was, that was funny. She was like, yep, we'll, we'll go to Florida. She said, I'm going to sit the pool all day and you can go do whatever you want. Yeah, those... Hopefully I can make that happen for her this year. So that would, that would be cool. But um, hey, thanks for having me on. I hope we uh, get to know each other better the next time we're at one of the first pitch things. I'm always... Uh, Happy to talk. This this past first pitch was tough. I, I wasn't as social as I was the year before. I got in late the one day, and then I never like caught up. And then I was like worried about my presentation and all this other stuff. And whatever it is, it is what it is. But um, you know, I've I've been hearing good things about you, and I know my uh, my guy Torres was imploring for you to go do a guest spot on one of Bubba's podcasts. So hopefully that stuff will happen. Keep getting your name out there, and uh, 
keep grinding. I hope, uh, I hope it's a successful season for you. And if you want to have me back before, uh, before the end of spring and we can go through everybody that we did like we did with Frank, cause you know what, in in two months, all of this is a lot of this is going to be different. Probably one third of this will be flipped and we're going to be like, what happened? But it, it is what it is. That's the, that's the, uh, the joy and the pain of covering uh, closers. Yeah. I, uh, I saw that yesterday too. Torres, <clears throat> Torres, <clears throat> Torres tagging me in that. Sorry, I guess I've, I've still got a bit of sore throat stuff going on over these last couple of weeks. Uh, Torres tagged me in that post from Bubba. I'd love to go back on bench with Bubba. I was on, in July, I think, and it's always a great time uh, being on with him. <laughs> Part of the reason why I wanted to get you on here is because I saw you in Arizona. I think it was Michael Govier who said, "Hey, Greg, Joe, you know, you know each other. Uh, <laughs> you guys should meet." And then I feel like I shook your hand at the bar, and then that was the last I saw of you. And that's part of you know, it was kind of overwhelming, honestly, just being there. Yeah, oh, it is. The amount of different people it was my first time going to any kind of baseball fantasy baseball thing. It, it was overwhelming because you want to spend time, you know, sitting with Eno Saris and Paul Spore at the bar, and then. You know, they see a conversation going on. It's like, that looks pretty interesting too, but I'm going to walk away from Eno and Paul. Like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> It'd be nice if there was hot mics all over the place and someone could put together a compilation <laughs> of, of all the conversations. But yeah, first pitch is, is a great experience. I'm going to definitely be in Arizona again next year. See if I can make it down to one of those other, I'm not going to be in Las Vegas or anything, no main events for me, but maybe if they do one in Florida, uh, we'll see if we can connect again there. And I would love to have you on the show again, uh, maybe get one of the other reliever recon guys on with you as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe D- Doug Dennis or Mike Carter or one of those, one of those other guys who covers bullpens. Mm-hmm. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, Cause like you said, everything is going to change. We do these ranks. I'm doing rankings right now and you know, you might as well not do them until February, March, but people are drafting. People want, people want content. And, uh, and that's oh, what we're here to do. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I yelled at, I yelled at Nick on a different podcast. I'm like, you and your damn rankings. Now it's all my people want. And it's like uh, one of the guys on staff, Aaron Pags, he, he said the best. He was like, he goes, Greg, he goes, people want fish tacos. They don't want to learn how to fish. I'm like, I get it. I know. It's so true. And Nick put out that crazy list that you can't even, how can anybody compete with that? It was like the top 200 starters for the year with schedule baked in uh, a hell of a lot of effort, but that's what it takes to to put out a great content. Like you do, like <laughs> Nick does, like everybody else in this, in this industry does that. I'm hoping to reach your guys level at some point. Uh, we will, we will have you back on again very soon, Greg, you guys can find Greg on Twitter at G at nine. That's with a W two T's. You can find me on Twitter at Joe or 99 and also check out sports ethos.com. That's where all of our content is released from directly from the source, all four major sports, wagering, gambling, and the rest of it. Guys, take care, and we will see you again tomorrow. Cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.